0: Today is Thursday, September 11th, 2014, and this is episode 1424 of the Survival Podcast. I've got a good one for you today. I've got Mike, New Mike Cromwell, on building a business from scratch. His particular area of concern is permaculture, but I think if you have any interest in permaculture, you'll like this show. And if you have any interest in self-employment and owning your own business and building your own life and doing things your own way, you'll dig this episode. So that means everybody should like this episode, if you like TSP at all. With that, before I get New Mike on the air... I should tell you why we call him New Mike. New Mike is cool, right? So I had this guy on the on the blog. It was a pain-in-the-ass sniper. And his was, name was Mike. And the guy bitched and complained about everything. And finally, I told him to F off. And, like, for a week, he f off. And then this New Mike guy came in and complained about something that wasn't really a big deal, except I thought it was Old Mike, we'll call him. And I'm like... F you, didn't you say you were going to go away and not bother me anymore? And this guy's like, dude, what the hell? And then his wife told him about Old Mike because she was apparently listening to and reading the blog before him or whatever. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was you, but it was, it was kind of funny. But I think we've uh, we crossed that bridge a long time ago, and Old Mike has stayed away. New Mike is now in the building, and I'll have him on the air for you in just a minute. Before I uh, I bring uh, New Mike on, let's go take care of the sponsor. Sponsor of the day, number one, Sawtooth Tactical. Hey, admit it. Guys, come on. Part of why you're a prepper is the tactical stuff. It's cool, isn't it? In fact, it's tactical. For all the tactical stuff you could ever want to have to live that tactical lifestyle, check out SawTac.com. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated in the Sawtooth wilderness of Idaho, Really great, cool stuff. Check them out today, Sawtooth Tactical at sawtac.com. They also do, do a discount for members, support brigade members. So if you're an MSB member, get your discount when you order from Sawtac. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Yes, the, the the sponsor that I can actually say I have the longest relationship with, not the longest relationship as a sponsor, that would be Safe Castle. The longest relationship with any sponsor by far, On the Survival Podcast is with Backwoods Home Magazine. That's because in 1994, I became a subscriber to Backwoods Home Magazine. I have been ever since. Guys, that is 20 years of being their customer. So when I recommend you consider their magazine, think about the fact that I've been doing business with them for two decades. Check them out today, backwoodshome.com. Uh, next up today, I want to remind you guys, we're doing a really big AgriTrue contest. I need your help to spread the AgriTrue message. TSP has become so much more than just the Survival Podcast. We've created lots of really great things like the Walking to Freedom Forum, Ethos, and AgriTrue. AgriTrue took forever to actually build, but it's, it's there and it's working now. AgriTrue is designed to be a free market libertarian system that basically sits alongside of, but does a better job than USDA Organic because it's about the consumer, and the producer talking directly to each other. You can learn more at agritrue.com, and there's a link to the Great Big Agritrue Contest where you can win, like, hundreds of dollars worth of stuff if you just join and tell people about Agritrue. Please consider doing that for me. I'd really appreciate it. Next up today, let's talk about the year that was the episode. 1424. What happened in 1424? Well, I have two segments to choose from today. One is... Black Death, The Finger of God, and the other one is A King's Ransom. I'm going to read Black Death, The Finger of God. A King's Ransom can be read on the 1424 page of the TSP Wiki, the Survival Wiki. Here's the Black Death one. The plague is ever-present. He'll hit one place and move on. The plague has come to Bohemia and struck down John the Blind Ziska. He has been leading the Hussites in war against the Emperor who is trying to eliminate the Hussite heresy. John has been kicking the backside of the trained Imperial forces with his mobile warfare technology and war wagons that can be described as wooden tanks. His troops will carry on. They will call themselves the Orphans because they feel like they've lost their father. John Ziska will continue to lead his troops in battle, though he is, his dying wish is to have his skin made into a drumhead. So in the old days, man, they would have these drums that would beat and call out troops and formations and use for communication. So this dude was so dedicated. He's like, when I die, make my skin into a drum head and take me back to the battlefield. All right. That's dedicated. My take by Alex Shrug. Some of John Ziska's enemies may say he was struck down by the finger of God. There's a biblical reference to the finger of God that punished the Egyptians with ten plagues until he let the Hebrews go. Apparently John's enemies see, thought of him as a pharaoh. He's certainly a powerful man, even after he was blinded in battle. Apparently, he was pretty powerful after he died. Let me tell you something. If you're going to lead men, this is the kind of guy you want to be. I don't know the whole story of John Ziska. I really don't. I know this. His men loved him. And that, above all, says huge things about a man who is a commander in battle. The, when, when men love you and will follow you into danger and call you their father and see themselves as orphans after you've gone... You've lived well. So John Ziska may not have been a perfect man. I don't think there are many of those ever. But he lived well. And he fought well. I know that simply because his men loved him. As you lead people in your life, try to be like that. Not necessarily having your skin made into a drumhead or building wooden tanks and fighting the enemy and being involved in violent conflict. But have those who follow you love you. That's a really great way to be a really great leader. With that, before uh, I bring Mike on, I do want to remind you that you can help support the work I do here. By joining the Member Support Brigade, you'll get great discounts. And I want to let you know, I have a big announcement tomorrow. I'm bringing you guys a cool discount. We don't have anything like it. Many of you have been poking me and going, can you get this done? Can you get this done? Can you get this done? So I tried to get this done, and I got it done. I could release it today, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you about it until tomorrow, but if you join the MSB, you'll get all the other great discounts, plus this new one that's coming. Just go to the SurvivalPodcast.com and click on Members or the Member Support Brigade banner, and you can find out more about it there. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters, all of you qualify for a discount. If you email me before, not after you join, service discount in the subject line, one or two sentences on your service, send the email to Jack at the com. One more announcement before I bring on new Mike. The Perma Ethos first annual fall festival is now open to all. I think we have about twenty tickets remaining available. There's a limit of two tickets per person for purchase. Um, this is in Walton, West Virginia, Virginia. It's going to be awesome at the Perma Ethos Farm. It's a chance to come out and learn from the really great people that are involved with Perma Ethos, including myself, uh, Josiah Wallingford. Uh, our partners Charlie Mitchell and Kevin Keegan, King- uh, Nick Ferguson, uh, Jesse Tegmeyer, Mike Vertries, John Samata. Uh, all of us are going to be out there teaching you guys all types of things. We're going to be covering the entire design that's planned for the front 18 acres, doing a walkthrough on that and explaining exactly what's going to be planted, where, why, and how. We're going to be doing a chicken processing workshop. Jesse Tegmeyer. Is going to run that. We have a whole bunch of meat chickens that are going to go graduate uh, right there. And you're going to see the whole system was used to create those birds and bring them up to graduation age. Uh, we have stuff going on with greenhouse and plants and plant propagation that Nick Ferguson's doing. We're even doing some cow milking stuff so you can learn how to do it. Seed exchanges, rabbits, pigs, bees. Michael Jordan's coming to teach about bees. This is going to be flipping awesome. And uh, I was going to keep this a complete surprise, but. Uh, They went ahead and put it on the event page, so oh, Patrick Rorman's coming, he's doing a knife sharpening thing, I mean, this is going to be a who's who of the TSP and and, and Permaethos Nations, man, Uh, but we're having a concert on Saturday night, Andrew McKnight is playing, who's he? Ever heard of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band? He was part of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, he'll be playing for you guys uh, Saturday evening to get to come. Uh, tickets are five hundred bucks. They're actually five thirty due to having to pay the overlords of West Virginia their sales tax. They consider this a taxable event. Uh, love to have you come. It's only a hundred dollar deposit to reserve your spot. All the event information is available at slash pe Dash fall festival in other words go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on the link there and you'll get straight on over to it i really hope to see a lot of you guys there it is going to be a lot of fun and i'm not teaching that much Uh, I am doing a walkabout tour where we talk about the whole design. I'll probably help here and there, but you know what that means? I'm going to be pretty free to hang out and talk to you guys, which is what I love to do. I won't have to be stressing out and running this event like I do when I run them here and teaching all the classes and stuff like that. I'm going to be able to chill. Hang out with you guys, answer your questions, and be there with you guys. So if you want to see what Ethos is all about, meet me and everybody else. Come on down to the Fall Festival in Walton, West Virginia. Again, all the details are published online and open to all now. With that, I am ready to get into the main topic of today's show. And I uh, had a great discussion with Mike Cromwell. Uh, he's just a really awesome guy. He has some uh, small plans leading to big plans. I think that if you want a business of your own someday in this world, and you want to figure out how to get it done, this might be one of the best interviews I've ever done, because instead of just me telling you how things work, you got me doing that, plus you got a guy that's just starting the journey, and is doing a really good job of laying the journey out for himself. So you're getting it from both ends, the beginning and the middle and the end, all at the same time, and a really cool dude on top of all that. And With that, hey Mike, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jack. Man, I'm glad to have you on. You've been a great contributor on the blog now for, geez, well over a year, and you've always got great comments. So when I saw that you were actually doing something with all this stuff and you wanted to be on the air, I was real happy about that. Um, but could you kind of tell folks, we're, we're going to have you on today talk about chicken tractors and some of the stuff you're doing with permaculture. Um, how'd you end up there, though? Were you born a permaculturist? Or did you take one of them crooked paths? No, I uh, I have probably one of the most crooked paths uh, you'll
1: you'll come across. I, uh, I come from a, a Marine Corps family. Uh, I've lived all over the country. I was born in Hawaii. Uh, in high school, I was in a punk band. I had a 14-inch purple mohawk, and I skateboarded for 10 years. Total waste of my life. But um, I actually wanted to be an F-15 pilot since I was six years old. And uh, so at 18, I joined the Marine Corps. Believe it or not, <laughs> does not have an F-15. But, uh, uh, and I became an intel analyst. I had no idea what it was. And, uh, yeah, no kidding. And, uh, literally the recruiter was like, uh, oh, you could be an Intel analyst or a heavy equipment operator. And I was like, Intel sounds kind of smart, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, so I want to be an officer and a pilot. And, um, I ended up joining the Marine Corps, uh, moved to the DC area as a reservist and, uh, started going to Virginia Tech where I met my wife in geology. Yeah, I took geology in college to be an F 15 pilot. <laughs> um, went through OCS, no problems. Uh, and then I eventually just decided that, uh, even though it's my lifelong dream, I would still love to do it. Um, I'm just not a military guy. I'm more of a family man and uh complete at odds. So I, I had this split with that. And, um, I, after I made that decision, I went to Afghanistan. How great, how great is that? <laughs> and, uh, I, I did economic political intelligence, um, uh, Basically, I became a State Department employee. That's probably the best way to put it. Okay. Um, totally different experience. Uh, that was, like, an amazing experience for somebody to have. I only went with two other people. I was pretty much best friends with, with my boss, who was a lieutenant colonel. I was a corporal. And, uh, I mean, we even finished a fifth of liquor in the barracks when we got home, just the two of us. Okay. Not normal Marine Corps, but... Um, Long story short, I got into survivalism uh, while I was at a a job with the FBI in uh, 2010, or actually 2012, and uh, I found TSP through Zero Hedge, believe it or not, and uh, I moved down to Louisiana with my wife after she got out of grad
0: school. We
1: got on this homestead in 2013, and it's just been work, work, work since then.
0: Awesome, awesome. So you come from this military family. Do they think you've gone all hippie now because you're a permaculturist? Man, my family has actually
1: really changed over the years, and my wow. my dad was a drill instructor. I didn't even say that, and uh we didn't have a very good relationship growing up, but now he's like the softest fuzzy guy i swear <laughs> <laughs> and and um my mom's kind of a hippie, but as I said on the blog actually this morning that uh you know she's gone all this crazy like hardcore right wing republican out of nowhere, which is it's it's kind of sad, but you know i'm I'm talking her off the uh Talking off the edge there.
0: The, the converted hippie to uh, to the right wing is usually on fire with messiah complex. <laughs> right. No kidding. And
1: you actually said it probably best that you called yourself, uh, I don't know, it was like a year ago, like a militant hippie, you know, permaculturist. Yeah. And I was like, that's like perfect explanation.
0: <laughs> militant hippie permaculturist. That sounds like something I'd say. Um, so you've been working with a lot of stuff down there in Louisiana. Um, uh, and one of the things that you've come up with, you've got a book coming out called yep. Easy Chicken Tractors You Can Build Today. Uh, how'd you come up with that book and why?
1: Well, um, the big thing is, is I had wanted chickens, uh, last December. I had it in my plans. I was going to get goats and then chickens. It makes no sense why I would go that way, but I was like, I'm doing goats and then I'm doing chickens. And I just kept pushing everything back and I didn't have still didn't have chickens. And I kept saying, you know, I just don't have the time. And uh, I realized I was an, an extreme excuse. It was ridiculous. And even though I was busy, I mean, I, I had time. I just didn't refuse to make it. So um as with all business things, they just kind of come to you. And then when you start kind of fleshing them out, you're like, wow, this is actually a really good idea. The more I think about it and um I kind of had noticed, um, I had been looking at some other business ideas. Um, and the thing I kept coming back to was the internet's free information is just terrible. Um, because people, they're not, they're not focused on helping other people. They're just kind of scratching their own itch and then throwing their video up there and like, Oh, yeah, I don't have any good pictures of the tractor. The most important parts you need to know to put it together, but you know, you figure it out. Meanwhile, you'll spend a lot of money and a lot of time doing it. So the book was like, I'm just going to make it recipe all the I'm going to reverse engineer the least amount of stuff and spread it so everybody else can just stop wasting their time doing figuring out the wheel that everybody's already done. And I ended up figuring out that I have to reinvent the entire wheel, which was very irritating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, um. Why am I or anybody else qual- why, why are you or anybody else qualified to, to write a book like this? i mean what what what's your credentials for being the, the new chicken tractor dude? Well, that's the thing
1: i I don't know one chicken tractor guy, not a one. Um,
0: and the reality is,
1: uh, the more you think about it is there's no, there's no qualifications for anything. I mean this is just you know qualifications are just kind of like this boxing of like these knowledge points to prove some sort of proficiency on a subject. And typically that's somebody else giving it to you. Well, the, the real world does not work like that. I mean, it really is just somebody standing up and going, you know what, I, I can do this. I can, I can push this football or bring the football a little bit further. Um, and all it takes is just doing it. And, you know, people can bring the value off of that kind of stuff. And one of the things that I've thought about, you know, it doesn't matter where you go with this one. I mean, Chicken Tractor book is a pretty small thing. But, you know, who crowned Bill Mollison as somebody who's allowed and uh, able to speak of some entirely new discipline uh, to view and study things completely differently and have a radically different approach in life? Nobody. He did. And at some point in time, he got extremely serious about investigating this. He dedicated his life to it. And he produced, you know, his book. um, the manual, which is pretty much, you know, his kind of crown, crown achievement or I guess the boiling of it. And as a result, now we can take that as a foundation and build significantly more value on it than just that. So, you know, long story short, uh, anybody could write this book just requires, uh, you know, a little bit of motivation and sticking to it.
0: Yeah, it is interesting to think about where it might go for you long term too because you mentioned the designer's manual, but of course, Bill's first book that he put out in the 70s was Permaculture 1, and it was not anywhere near as intensely written or as deep or as engaging as the design manual. So, it's interesting that to maybe then to watch where this goes for you over time.
1: If you look at um A lot of people's books nowadays, they'll, they'll typically do blog posts and then they'll just assemble it into a book and kind of organize it. I actually really like that. Some people don't like it. They feel like they've been kind of cheated, but reality is, is, you know, over time you're going to develop, um, these understandings of these subjects and it's nice to be able to serialize it, but you know, decades later it's going to change. And that's just kind of, that's what a book is all about really. It's just kind of serializing your thoughts at any moment in time for somebody then to take and then create new things off of and then you're going to change. And, um, you know, the older you get and the more you stick with it, uh, the more you're really going to perfect those ideas. That's why that book is just, I mean, it's almost untouchable in a lot of ways.
0: Okay. I, I mean, you're doing this really from a standpoint of you want to you want establish a business for yourself, correct? Yes. So
1: um, one of the things that, uh, has been a long arching goal in the last um, uh, last three years or so has been this desire to become self-employed. I've always known, oh, you know, I, I want to do my own thing. Um, but with this book, I kind of was like, you know what, this is it. Like, this is the time. And uh there, any time is the right time. But, uh, you know, this is the time to actually do it. And this is kind of, to me, this is pinky toe stuff. Um, even though putting a book out and doing this, this is a lot of work. But It's pinky toe. I mean, there's people who are, you know, think about like the, you know, some people may not like them, but like the CEO of Chevron and stuff, these guys do huge, huge projects and then they fail and then they don't have, you know, not necessarily oil spilling, but you know, they end up not getting the contract, but they just spent a billion dollars trying to get it. And here I am trying to, oh, a chicken tractor book. But, you know, (laughs) you got to start somewhere, right? And I don't have to make a billion dollars. I just need to make enough that I enjoy my life. I have great experiences with my wife and my my family, and then, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's all memorable. I'll re- I'll remember all these times that I'm out there cussing away, and then my wife's taking
0: pictures and stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, I think the approach is one that more people should take, and what it makes me think of is, did, did you hear the interview with Mark Shepard last week? Yes. So, you know how he says, basically, he gives his interns a Schedule F, but he suggests pretty much that everybody that wants to be in farming anyway turn their their kitchen garden, basically, into a farm on paper and run a Schedule F on it because that teaches you the business of farming. Well, I think that the biggest problem most people have with establishment of a business is that they come out of the gate with, I have to have this business. It has to be dramatically successful. It has to do something nobody else has ever done before in a way no one else has ever done it. And then they talk themselves out of it because it's so... Monumentous, and they're actually afraid to not succeed, which is dumb because you have to not succeed to succeed eventually. Yes. Where if you come out with something like, well, I'm going to put out this ebook or I'm going to put out this book, I'm not, we'll get into exactly how you're going to publish it. And let's say that it doesn't do, it doesn't set the world on fire, but you get a few customers and you learn the process of writing a book, selling a product online, serving a customer, developing a marketing plan then that sets the stage to do more things. And if more people would do that, and then if you don't happen to make a fortune on a book about chicken tractors, don't beat yourself up over it. So what are all the things that I learned for this? And what's the next project I can do? I think we'd have a lot more new entrepreneurs out there. You get uh, it, It's,
1: you know, I, I totally get what you're saying and I wouldn't have understood this. Like I've never been negative business ever in my life. You know, I've, I've probably always, even in my punk days, I assure you, even more of the conservative standpoint. But I've never
0: understood Conservative it. Republican punk rocker.
1: Yes. Uh, That's worse than a militant hippie permaculture. Trust me, they're, they're out there. In fact, there, <laughs> there was a website way back in the day called Conservative Punk, and it was a direct uh, attack on, uh, what was it, uh, punkvoter.com, which was this, oh, man, just terrible. Uh, yeah, vote George Bush out. Vote for anybody but George Bush. Oh, here's the guy to vote for. Hmm. <laughs> got it. I see where this is. Well, going. there would
0: only be one other guy to vote for. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Anybody but is, 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 is actually vote for my guy. And, the,
1: and, and we're talking about in punk rock music where in the 1980s exploited, wrote an album called, you know, Anarchy is not dead. I mean, come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I, uh, Every time you say punk rock, for I guess it's just because I watched it recently. The only thing I can see in my head is the old Star Trek movie uh, with the whales in it, the fourth or fifth oh, movie, whichever one it was, where the, the punk rock guy, and it's the 80s, and there's this punk rock guy with a ghetto blaster on a on a bus, and, he, and the song's going, I hate you and I berate you, and it's like blaring, and Spock puts him to sleep with the Vulcan pitch. Nice. Every time you say punk rock, I see that guy
1: oddly enough, the wife and I have gone back to watching Star Trek, and that's the next movie, and it's a terrible movie.
0: <laughs> it's an awful movie. And it, I'll tell you, I know we've totally left the, the <laughs> building, so to speak, here, but that is probably the best movie out of all the movies from the original series piece, and it's horrible. It's absolutely <laughs> horrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you still watch it. And that's, hey, you know, you can have a business doing anything. Right, uh, and you might be successful even if it sucks if you keep trying. When, when I first when I first
1: started this, kind of bringing it back, um, you you end up learning all sorts of stuff. Like I've learned so many words in the last three months that I didn't even know it existed. I don't even know people spent, you know, I don't know, hundred years at least crafting things like marketing and stuff like that. I know you got a marketing background, but it's this is all news to me. These here's a great example. My my wife is like a book nerd. And she knows every single word she mean I know how to pronounce them correctly. <laughs> she's gonna laugh at that one, but um she uh she did not know what copywriter meant hmm. i I don't blame her I didn't know what it meant until recently and it's it's one of those things where it's like wow you're just you're just scratching on a surface like you don't even you don't even know how big this is that's why I've become so engrossed in it and I've learned about for example uh Google and um doing um AdWords and all that kind of stuff like, OK, doing kind of when people do Google searches, seeing exactly how if I were to search this word, you know, what comes up? How what, how, how much money does it cost to funnel the traffic and stuff? Like, I've never used the word funnel in my life or traffic. But um, and I started doing research on this book and I was like, man, I could pay like if I could get one percent conversion on this book at uh I can't remember, 20 or 30 dollars for the book of the number of people that they're claiming i would be able to get you know to just see the website it's not trivial chump change and that's one percent conversion i mean it's enough to pay for itself your cell phone bill i mean that's that 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 made me just much more excited. Like okay, see, and here's
0: where you should be encouraged, Mike. Right there, you're onto something that I've had to sit down with in my past as a consultant. And I don't think it's as true today as it was back, kind of at the when people were just starting to really figure out, hey, you can sell stuff with the internet. But you're you're, you're hitting on what you'd call value per visitor there. And I sat down with with executives running multi billion dollar marketing campaigns, and I would say, what is your value per visitor to your site? And they would vehemently explain to me that was impossible to know. Well, And you would like, no, no, it's not. And they'd say, well, different visitors are different types. I said, well, there's the total value of every visitor, and then you can segment your visitors. And eventually they had all the data necessary to get that calculation, but they had never made it. And you're not even doing it yet, and yet you know to do that. There's one thing I've learned
1: uh, in this process is that um – Probably the best part, and I, I think anybody who's worth their salt will tell you this: that is just the journey. The fact that you're you're going to learn and jump into so many new avenues, and you've got to be comfortable with this fact that you don't know, um, and that you're going to learn. You, that's part of the confidence. Is it's not just confidence of like, oh, you know, I'm the best, but hey, I'm not the best right now, but I can be the best. Just you know, give me a shot. I can, or give myself a shot and do it. And I, I can I can prove that that I can learn it, that I can do this kind of stuff. And if you don't even try, I mean, you've you've already shut it way down.
0: Well, I think best, too, also is, like, your customer, what's best for them? What what, what are their biggest problems and aches? And the fact that you said, basically, I'm going to take this and go back through it and do it all different ways and figure out what works best. So like what the customer wants is I want to be able to do it as, as inexpensively as possible but still have quality. I want to be able to believe that I can get it done, and I want it to work and function well once I'm done with it. Yep. And I want it to adapt to my market. So if you can give the customer that, then it's the best for them, and as far as they're concerned, you're the best source for their information. And one, one of the classic ways to do this that you're supposed to do is a customer
1: analysis. So you're supposed to understand, well, who you've you got to start with that because you've got to go, okay, well, who is the person that would buy this book? Because the way that I do everything I mean literally everything that you do in the entire project, you're going to do it with that in mind, because if you don't, you're going to be lost in the sauce. And a great example of this is I wanted to build chicken tractors where they're easy you know, obviously, that you know, it depends on, on what you mean, but they're easy enough for anybody to do. I want, you know, my, my target audience. That if I could get a suburban mom or an urban mom who has never put together anything in their life to be able to follow these instructions and have a functional, not amazing, not a best chicken tractor, but a chicken tractor that they can build, ding. And the only way to do that is that from the very beginning to, that I say this. So I've had to take, I literally have like 2,000 pictures and most of which will be
0: going in the book, <laughs> which is you can't do that in a print book. Um, Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I wanted to know what the form of this book is and how you're bringing it out, but right there I know it's electronic. Uh, My unfinished and possibly unfinished forever book on on rifle shooting was going to be that way, simply because you can't afford to print that many pictures. And I don't think there's really a big place for print books anymore. As I sit here looking at four bookshelves in my office of, of, of hard copy books, and I, you know, I, I realize I have these books. Some of them have sentimental meaning to me, but most of them I have them because at the time when you bought a book, that's what you bought. I don't know that I've bought a print book by choice in the last two years. Here's a great example: if you have a gross uh
1: misspelling or <laughs> actually incorrect statement, how expensive of a cost is it? I mean, no, it's. it's it's, it's, I have, I have a, a box of books underneath my desk that are programming books that I have combed through every one of them. I need to sell all of them because in, in, in that particular field, I didn't say it earlier, but I'm a software developer who works from home, uh, self-taught. I have no experience in software development and I make way more than I did as an Intel analyst. Um, uh, it changes so much and you need to know much, so much more stuff that by the time you've got the book, you now got, I mean, this book is like 50, 60 pounds, or this box is like 50, 60 pounds of books. What am I going to do with that? I, I've got to get rid of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to go with an electronic format. Yeah. Do you, do you kind of have a a marketplace in mind? Are you going to sell just direct, or are you going to use a service, or, or what are you going to do with that? Well, um, I've been looking. Um, I haven't
1: quite tackled it yet, because I've been really focused on getting the content done. Um and then formatting, and then and then getting getting down to those brass tacks. Um, but I have looked at obviously Amazon is like the first choice. In fact, that's how I did part of my market research. I went chicken tractors in the Amazon. Go ahead and do that and see how many chicken tractor books you get. You get one. Uh, I, it's it's you know all about chicken tractors, which which has a purpose for sure. Uh, I go in and I read the comments and it's like just doesn't have you know practical directions and stuff, and I'm like. I mean, people are looking for help here. And, um, you know, that's one way that I did it via Amazon or that I'm looking at doing it at Amazon. But I'm also really going to be looking at doing a lot of other and more creative techniques um, because uh, I've I've watched and listened to some interviews with people who have sold books. And uh, believe it or not, uh, a lot of them, Amazon was not the way that they sold their books the most, which I don't know how that's possible. But um, you know, there's just different different avenues. Uh, perhaps it's putting it up at these various chicken uh, websites that so you can go buy. You know, your chicken feeders and oh, there's books here. Oh, there's plans. You know, there's there's different ways that I'm looking at doing it. But Amazon's definitely going to happen. It's too I, easy I, not to.
0: Yeah, I think that the way for for publishers to sell today is everything that works. And my only concern for anybody self-publishing today is making sure you don't pick a venue that somehow says, now you must use us for all your sales, mm. which most of them are smart enough to know, yeah, that worked in 86, and it doesn't work now, and that'll just mean that nobody will use you. So that's the, the one concern I have for people is to make sure you don't ever lock yourself into some sort of a, an agreement where you you have to solely sell through their source. Once your book's electronic, as long as it'll fit into somebody's model, then fine, um, there, there are a tremendous number of of uh, avenues out there uh, that can be used, including mm-hmm. some that are, you know, built to serve the affiliate market. Where, right. uh, And uh, ClickBank that was the one I was stalling because it wouldn't yes. come to me for yes, some reason. That's ClickBank one is a place where a person with a site like mine can go, and if I see a a good value book, I can sell that person's book, and they don't have to directly contact me. Mm-hmm. And the reason a lot of sellers use ClickBank is there's something on ClickBank called Gravity. And Gravity basically determines how well the product is selling. So Mm. for me, my first concern is quality. But there's a lot of just people out there whose only mission in life is to sell whatever sells. And if something's a proven seller, they'll build something to sell it. So, so that's one way a lot of people sell a tremendous amount of books, especially yeah. electronic books, is letting somebody else do the selling. And it's not always the right choice, but if you can do it in addition so that it becomes adjunctive revenue, you know, do I care that you're getting half of my profit that I would have never had? Yeah. Um, no, I'm totally okay with that because I got it, I got the other half and I didn't do anything. You know,
1: you could, you could really look at that from, it doesn't matter if it's books or not, but it's the whole idea that you, you become popular, you become big, not by your direct connections, not even close. Um, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Jeff Lawton did not get big because of Jeff Lawton. Jeff Lawton got big because everybody talks about Jeff Lawton. Correct. And yeah. he couldn't, could not have. Become this big, but that's what you, you do. You start with your direct contacts and you build out and you got this network. And then you eventually get to this point where people who have no idea who you are, somebody says, Hey, this is, this is actually a pretty good value. This is a a good thing to purchase and they lomp on it. And one thing that you hit on there is about like, Oh, it's, it's hot. So I should sell it. Um, I think that's a great idea because if it's selling, that means it probably is a value, uh, that people are. You know, going read. I mean, that's not always the case. If you look at Amazon's hottest books, they're always like these trashy novels. It's kind of (laughs) terrible, but you know, that is what it is. But you know what? People need entertainment, and if it's cheap and it costs two dollars, if I'm not mistaken, like one of the most value or most um, profitable authors, like out there in eBooks, is a is like a romance novelist who writes like dollar books. Really?
0: Yes, I had no idea the market is so huge. It makes sense because it's formulaic, and you can just crank it out, crank it out, crank it out. And there are people that are—I would call them collectors of stories in their brain of that genre. That's there's women that that's what they do. They read that crap constantly. So
1: you know, and I'll make a value statement uh, all day long about it. But what I will say: Would I rather have that person paying a dollar or two for that,
0: or a dollar or two for Angry Birds? I mean, I'd much rather have them. At least they're reading, right? Right, I mean, at least they're reading. And to me, I've always said this about education. I'll use whatever the student will read to get their mind functioning. Mm. I don't care. Um, I think that if and it, I would also say this, I bet you would agree. If they can read a trash novel or watch trash TV, which one do you think still has a better benefit to the brain? Right. The, the reading, because it requires yeah. engagement. It's not it can't be completely mindless. It requires you to
1: fire off much more parts of your brain to, you know, you got to imagine. And that's one thing, you know, I consider myself a pretty creative person. Uh, I'm a uh, a very big music person. I was a band back in high school. I was in a band. I was in a punk band actually like three years ago in D.C. So <laughs> it's not like I'm totally out of that. But, uh, um, the you know, a creative person. But I didn't realize until recently how creative, like how weak my creativity muscles are because I don't, I had not been flexing them enough with uh, decisiveness and, you know, uh, with intention. And reading definitely does that, even the fiction novels. But, you know, obviously, you can't have too much entertainment. You can't have too much fiction living in La La Land, so to say. But it does provide you some value, especially more than TV, which you literally. My mom watches TV all the time. She doesn't even watch it. She couldn't tell you what she just watched. That's terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. And I mean, fiction's not all bad either. I I try to read at night. And because my entire business is based on the acquisition of factual knowledge, I try to read fiction that's not related to what I do at all Mm. as a way to switch my brain off of that constant work mode before I go to sleep. So I can actually sleep in a creative space versus... Uh, tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to work on this. I, you know, and it, it, I found yeah. that what I was doing a long time ago is I was, I was doing the exact opposite. I was researching stuff you know, it, before I went to bed. And, and, I, and at the time, I guess it was necessary because I just had to get it done sometime. Mm-hmm. But once I got to a point where the business was kind of floating, I went into a point where there's a, there's a point during the day to switch things off. And then there's a point to almost re-switch things off before you put the mind to sleep because the mind needs sleep. When you look at all the, I've spent a lot
1: of time, um, I started on this business kick, like this, like literally it's be, it's become my life in the last three months. And it started with a discussion with Insidious, believe it or not. We're actually like really good friends now. <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not. I contacted him, I don't know, probably a year ago. Uh, his name's David and he lives in California and, uh, like man we 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 uh waste a lot of time, well, I say waste, but uh sending emails back and forth, and I actually have printed out emails that i, I have put on my uh my board here because of some of the great stuff that he'll bring up and um he introduced me to this this um video podcast or whatever online called London real, and it's a great way to do that because you will be able to jump into high performers and people who are experts in their field and fields. You're not even remotely, you may not even know anything about these fields. And it has pushed me uh, to really understand how or, or to get a grasp of a basic grasp of how high uh, performance people work. Uh, You know, like Tim Ferriss and all these, these people and the big thing that they do that you wouldn't think is they turn off. <laughs> yep. They, they work, their butt off for some short period of time a lot of them and then they'll go do nothing they'll literally go rock climb for a month they'll go you know you can't do that with a normal job in fact you might have two weeks of vacation and normally with the with the way a normal job works is you're you're always thinking from like a scarcity mindset uh, rather than an abundance so you're always holding on to that leave like for that time that i really should use that leave and you end up never using it or you know you end up taking one or two days and you just never feel satisfied about it. But when you're intentional you about it, a
0: week or two, you, you when it's over, you feel like that went so fast. Yeah. And if you know that it's very limited, this is the other thing that happens. You spend the first half of it, you know, thinking, how do I cram as much in as I can? Yep. And then you spend the second half dreading the fact that it's almost over. <laughs> right. And, yes. And you never just in, immerse yourself in the situation. And it's something I struggle with because obviously I'm putting out a show every day. I can't yeah. just go on hiatus for a month. No. But, you know, we have done things like I've worked my brains out for two weeks and done a month's work in two weeks, and I just leave for two weeks. And you then should. the technology does all the work. And as far yeah. as you know, I'm still here. There's, I'll actually give away a secret. There has been at least five times in the history of this show – where I have been gone and you and everybody else didn't know I was gone. Yes. I didn't tell you we left. Th- that's why yeah. I wanted, one of the things that I got into, um,
1: during, uh, when I, when I first put in this thing. By the way, I've wanted to put in a, uh, a guest request a million times for a million different subjects. I mean, I have a lot of very odd knowledge. And, uh, with this one, it was passive income streams. I've become like obsessed with this idea that, oh, you make money in your sleep, you know, it's not that you didn't work your butt off for it, but you're creating some sort of thing that perpetuates value and continues to create value. And with a podcast, I know there's this one guy, I'm not even going to mention him because I don't like his podcast, but um, he, he, there's no way he doesn't do his podcast where he records them back to back to back in a day or two and then just lets it ride. But that's the nice thing with a podcast is you can do that kind of stuff where maybe you've got 10 topics you want to do and maybe you want to release them all out. In fact, if I'm not mistaken when he started his podcast, um he recorded like 40 or 50 podcasts or I think it was like 70 or something like that and then he let them all go. Like he wasn't releasing them day to day. He just let them roll. And he and he was done. I mean, obviously he was working on other stuff. He could then go, "I'm going to now focus on marketing and get this out." So he could mm-hmm. shift gears. And that's the cool part about becoming your own business, like your own, you know, Uh, entrepreneur whatever kind of term you want to say where you're self-employed that you get to do different stuff you don't have to just keep plugging away at you know the accounting spreadsheet day after day oh you know what the nice thing is you get to move on to the next account oh that's freaking great (laughs) i mean that's not what you want to do you want to go okay well now i get to learn i mean i don't know maybe that's just me
0: (laughs) well no it is it's a big reason to do it. it it is amazing what becomes a tax deduction Oh uh, yeah, you know, yes. podcast about that. So I wrote it off. Oh what man, yes, it's legal. I'm sorry that you had to ask, but yes, it is. <laughs> you know? Maybe I need a new accountant now, but 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 definitely like so. I mean, what it makes me think of is like you're doing this this thing now, and you don't know what it'll what it'll turn into, Mike. One of the sites yes. I built very early on, and it's still out there. It's a terrible site. It's called Ten Dollar Wine and it was on good inexpensive wines. And it was just little reviews of different bottles of wine. Well, the only reason that I even did it was because, well, one, I could throw AdSense on it and make a few bucks off it because mm-hmm. that's back when AdSense paid. But the real reason I did it, every bottle of wine I drunk and put on that website got deducted from my taxes. Ah, oh, man.
1: That's so, <laughs> and in fact, from the Mark Shepard episode, I emailed my CPA the next day and I'm meeting with them tomorrow to talk about some major, major changes. Um, <laughs> It's just like it's like little stuff, and the reality is, it's like the more you spend time dealing with this, it doesn't seem like a loophole to me with a lot of this stuff. What it is is you're providing value, and in order to provide value, there's expenses required and it requires you, it, it requires you to do stuff to build this tractor, to build these five chicken tractors that I built. I had to go to Lowe's so many times. I hate Lowe's and Home Depot now. I've, <laughs> I've, I'm not even joking. In, in three months, I've been there at least fifty times. I believe you. It's a 30-minute one-way drive with my truck just to pick up the lumber or just like one one latch that I did not have, like, kick myself the whole time. Like, this is an hour and a half I can't get back. But guess what? Because I don't have my truck uh, as part of, you know, a business, I can't write off the, the payment on that truck. But that's the whole purpose I bought that truck was to allow me to do certain things. So it's, it's things like that where it's like mm-hmm. once you realize that, this is what's enabling you to do business. Okay, well, if I didn't have it, I couldn't do the business. So it's not a loophole. It's just
0: the real deal. And when you talk to your accountant, I'll tell you what you should be able to do. You should be able to write off the mileage. Yeah. Even as a private citizen, but you're running a business, you, yeah. it, it, as long as you're going to file uh, with a Schedule C and as with business attempted income, yeah. then... That is a legitimate expense and the mileage is probably with what you just described bigger right off than the, the truck itself. I
1: did the math before before getting on here and I think it, it has cost me $300 in gas. Wow. I mean,
0: it's just, I,
1: I mean, that's a great point about uh, the difficulty, quote unquote difficulty of why people don't get into doing these kind of things. It's like once you start doing it, you're like, man, this is a lot of work. <laughs> And a lot of dedication, like, eh, I don't really feel like getting out there. No, you got to get out there and do that stuff. And you got to go like, man, I need this part. And if it wasn't that I was building a book, like there's so many shortcuts I could have take, but I'm not going to go and take those shortcuts where, um, oh, I, I didn't even say with this book that it's so easy that you can build all of this stuff is from Lowe's and Home Depot or Amazon. Like it's not not using any. Oh, scrap the find scrap wood, because finding scrap wood and stuff like that ends up being you don't have a chicken tractor.
0: Well, because no. And what I'd want if I bought this book from you, I don't want to go to Lowe's and Home Depot 47 freaking times. That's right. I want a bill of materials. That's right. I, actually, what I would, I'd advise you to do this, Mike. I think this would be a great idea. I'd have a page that's designed to be printed out in that book that you could walk into a Lowe's with and go, go get me this shit. I already ahead of you. Okay, excellent. I mean, yeah, yeah. I know. just thing it you know, just go into the you know the, the, the front customer service desk and go, I or, or, or even you know call it in and say I'd like to pick up an order and or go on their website and and do a pickup and have yep. it sitting there all in one place. Mm-hmm. There's everything, and you'll probably also know like you need two of these, but get four because they're cheap and you're going to break at least one. Yep,
1: and you may. You may not understand because you're new to, man, I've learned so much about carpentry since I've done this because I've done it, I don't know, every day for three months. Um, Different things, too. That's another thing. Each one of these is very different. So it depends on your style and all this, and you learn different skills. And uh, if you don't know how to cut wood and and you fail to realize that a miter saw has, like, an eighth inch, oh, you are going to be all (laughs) over the place. You're going to cut it, like, okay, 48 inches, cut. Yeah. Why is it 47 and a half? Exactly. because oh, of the Lord. curse of the saw.
0: Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but if you think, well, a person that, that knows woodworking knows that, but the guy you're selling this book to probably doesn't know woodworking. Right. Or, if you knew woodworking, you would have just slapped something together by now and been on with your life. Right, and even then, if they still want it
1: anyways, they're not going to read that. <laughs> they got yeah. the parts list. I'm going to include also some, some basic diagrams where they're just going to take the diagram and they're going to like, this, this whole part is crap. Like this guy yeah. does not know how to put this together awesome. That's great. Put it together better. But <laughs> yeah. if, if it stops you to where you're like, I need the perfect chicken tractor. That's why I stopped because it was like, I don't want to do it crappy. I want to do it good. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, um, it's taken me a really long time to get to this point. So I can I, I it's just further proving that this book is needed. And it's not just this book. It's all these kind of books. And now that we have ebooks and stuff, there's just so much more you can go with it, and doing the ebook with pictures you can do by yourself. If you want to do video, which in my opinion would be the best way, it is an entirely different beast that is so much bigger.
0: Oh, it's 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 beyond bigger. People don't understand how much work goes into video. You know, producing the the permaculture design course in video has been a monumentous undertaking for us. Yeah, and we've got a professional that knows what he's doing. Right. Um. Just it, 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 my. Opinion of Les Stroud went up about a thousand points the first time I went out and did that little stupid thing with fishing with flowers at my park, right? Mm. And you've seen that video series because it was what I was doing was I, it's stuff I did when I was a kid. That was the whole point. Anybody can do this, but videoing it made it so much more complicated. I thought, this guy, yeah. he's kind of gooberish, but. He's trekking around in the woods with multiple cameras and multiple angles and doing everything six times instead of once. And it's a pain in the ass. Video is a great product, but it is a lot more work. And I think it depends on what you're doing, too. Like doing something like you're doing, if you did a video of how to build a chicken tractor, that would be more complicated. Let's say the YouTuber that's basically doing a podcast like I do, but they have a video studio set up. They hit a button, they do it, they upload it. That's totally different
1: yeah that's actually another good point that you learn uh amongst this that why focusing and staying on a single task and just uh or a single idea or thread of like a business approach why you should really stick on it because eventually you're gonna get efficient at it and when you first start off like doing video i don't even have video software on my computer right now now i've done video editing like amateur semi-pro video editing in my in my life so i have some things to pull from and i'm actually looking at doing video in the future so i've started looking at cameras way more expensive than i've ever looked at before <laughs> and uh there is so much to learn and but eventually you're going to get efficient at it and where you're going to go video shot boom it's a great example jeff lawton when i was up at uh, ben falk's place uh doing his pdc last year uh jeff lawton came by with his video crew and if People don't know he's releasing like these videos. I think he stopped that. I, I have not get emails anymore, but he used to release a video every single Friday. And these videos were ridiculous. I mean, they're they're high, high quality videos of him showing, uh, you know, at the at the time he was doing Ben Folks, you know, very northern climate permaculture. And he's showing all this different kind of stuff. And it's to do that, I mean, he's got a team of people who are able to craft this stuff in a very short amount of time. Because he's not even there. He's not even in the states doing this, like, or or, you know, uh, putting it all together. He's out there visiting this stuff. So when he did that Ben Falk thing, he went like a day before that to go do the chicken uh, composting thing. That was at the same place. So how was he able to put those two videos together in two weeks? Uh, It's called a team.
0: It's definitely a team. He's he's told me that he has. What would what could literally be a thousand hours of produced video in raw footage from over the years that mm. that they're they're going through just to, to do, and it's it's kind of funny sometimes if you watch some of his videos where they've blended footage together, you can see him age in one video. <laughs> you like look <laughs> yeah. at him; he was like ten years younger in that shot than that shot, right. and, and that just tells you how much has been accumulated. And I I think what what happened with Jeff maybe is a little bit of looking at his mentor, Bill, who who hasn't done really well financially for himself, and he's done all these great things for the world, Mm -hmm. and he's kind of a broke old man right now, and thinking, you know what? I've got all of this clout, and I've never really monetized it, and he did a very good job, especially the first round of the PDC he sold. I don't know what the total dollars were, but it had to be a multi-million dollar. It had to be. I sold... 475, I think, courses for him, that's just me. And that was the other thing he was smart about. He went out to people and said, if you sell my course, I'll give you 150 bucks a head. Yep. Um, I flipped that around, because my business is membership, so I said, just give that as a discount. Deal, done. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, Paul Wheaton made a good check off of selling on Jeff's behalf. Right. And and that's very smart. I don't think everything works with affiliates, but I think some things really, really do well. And electronic products do because – I'll give you the big mistake, though, Mike. This is the big mistake I think most people make. It's generous, but it's a mistake, and that is they do their launch with affiliates. And I think there's a cannibalization factor in that. I think if you launch a product for 30 days and then bring affiliates in, you're actually bringing in incremental revenue. And I'm much more comfortable giving that an affiliate a right. very large commission in that point because I know they've actually earned it. Whereas if I do the launch with them, you don't a know lot who. of sales I would have had anyway, they might
1: pick off. Right right. Now. Yeah, totally with you. And what's f- funny, again, I, I getting into this, you see the behind the scenes. If you go to JeffLaden.com and you look at the page, uh and you look at how he launched the PDC, uh it's called one thing. It's called the uh Jeff Walker launch. <laughs> so so the fact is is like this this guy, um, I actually spend so much time analysing what Jeff Lawton does um and and viewing him beyond just, you know, permaculture oh, he's this educator. Most people don't even think of Jeff Lawton in in my opinion, they don't view Jeff Lawton as who I think Jeff Lawton really is, which is an educator. Yep. I think they view it more of like He's permaculture in the world. I mean, he's done that stuff, but that's not that's not what he does. He's an educator, and he's trying to um, the whole. I I haven't talked to him about this personally, but I'm sure the PDC getting the money in is you, so he can start actually getting serious education products out.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. Be able to pay for video and pay for 3D graphical artists. You know, people have no idea what that costs, man. It's like, why don't you give it away for free? It's like, oh. Why don't you give it away for free? Well, I don't know how to make it. Well, find out what it costs to do it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I'll I'll tell you what's free
1: quality. And again, it's it's this whole concept of like challenging yourself. And this is another thing that I've learned that, you know, sometimes it's best to raise the price because you're going to raise yourself to give way more. Because if you think like, man, $500, like, God, like, I don't know if I could do it, but you're going to try. You're going to be like, I need to give this guy a $1,000 worth of value. And the only way you can do that, you know, as you bring in, um, revenue, you've, you've got to be able to create products. This is the third ethic. I mean, this is really what it's all about. You get better results when you start, when you get your, uh, when you get your profits, you reinvest them. You get it towards, to improving better people, better earth. I mean, this, this is, it's so obvious. I don't understand why people don't understand the third ethic. <laughs> uh it's not about redistribution because it's
0: it's it, it, why would you throw you know, away resources? It breaks resources? Everything. It, 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 it does. You redistribute it breaks and it breaks it breaks a brick and mortar business, it breaks an online business, it breaks a farm. it, it is a, it is an anti design concept to yeah. redistribute surplus. The reinvestment of surplus I'll go off on a tangent if I keep going here, but yeah. <laughs> that actually makes the system dun, dun, dun sustainable. Right. A business that redistributes all its surplus is not sustainable. If all Jeff
1: Watt never did was just go around shooting videos behind his house or whatever and like not even caring, like, oh, here's the chicken tractor. Yes. I mean, we would get nowhere with this. But how do you see this is the thing also about like he's got to be able to have enough money to go all the way to Vermont to just see some guy who's doing composting. Just so you can get a new view in reality, so that you understand this, and it requires big bucks. And what's funny about it is, when you get into business, it's
0: not big bucks, but it's just big bucks for us small-time thinkers. Well, and here's like here's the thing about Jeff. Like you mentioned, like well, like Tim Ferriss will just like go rock climbing for a month. Jeff loves permaculture, so when he's yep. screwing off, he's doing permaculture. Yep. But to give you an idea of that same philosophy, so I I, I pinged him on Skype a few weeks ago. And I said, dude, you want to come back on the show? And he 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 re- rang me back on Skype right away, and he said, yeah, I'd love to. But when I get back, I'm going to Africa. And I said, well, what are you doing there? He goes, I'm going to go uh, teach and set up some stuff for an orphanage there. Why not? So that's his vacation. Yeah, why not? Spending six weeks at an African orphanage, orphanage, setting up systems and training permaculturists at no cost, so that they can then train their own. And and that that to him is a big reset. And I'll tell you it. It's probably a lot more enjoyable than going to teach a PDC where the students are paying 1500 bucks a head because you can just let go a little bit there. You yeah. can just, like, we're having fun. We're learning all this, but we're not doing it in a formal client uh, business relationship. We're right. doing so I'm here to help you. And you know what? And the times that you're
1: probably going to get the best opportunities are that time when you let your hair down. Mm-hmm. You allow yourself – to be able to take in the positivism and be able to see everything that's going on and be like, man, this is like a, t- you know, I, you know, I'm not doing what I normally do. And I explain it this way to this person, and like their eyes lit up. I need to write that down. Um, or, hey, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I always think of like all the big stuff that he's done. Like, oh, he's helped, um, was it the King of Jordan and doing mm-hmm. all this stuff. How do you go from being the nobody uh, permaculture educator to that? I don't know. You just do it. And uh, you just want to go do it. And if if he would have thought like, oh, you know, it's real difficult and expensive to put swales in my backyard, he would never had the the balls to even attempt to take a contract like that. And that's, you know, one of the biggest things about this is like understanding that you're capable of doing so much more. You just have to you just have to trust that you can do it and be willing to push yourself, and be willing to fail, because whether you fail or you don't, you're going to have an awesome experience. And maybe not awesome as in like, oh, I loved it, but you're going to look back and be like, man, that really
0: molded me. I think that the most successful business people do a lot of the things that Jeff's doing, and that I think I've done here, and that is there's two worlds. There's a tremendous amount given away. At no cost whatsoever, but then there is something that is a revenue generation stream. And Mm -hmm. I think that builds trust and relationships with customers where I don't know about you, but I've, I've used certain services like as a, like a plugin for my blog or something like that that requires not just for me to install it and turn it on, but actually is using like the, the provider's server or something like that. Right. And I'll go, this really makes my site better. It really helps me and I don't want it to go away and I'll track them, is there any way I can buy anything from these people so that this doesn't go away? Because I don't want this to go away. And sometimes there's a premium version of it, sometimes there isn't, but they have another thing that you can buy. And I'll tell you, as a business, what I don't like is the whole donation concept. I'm not a charity, I don't take donations. And I will buy something I don't need from a business before I'll donate to that business, if that makes sense, because it's the wrong concept. It's like now, if you wanted to, say, I think the way that maybe you could do that is this product's free, or you can pay for it. <laughs> that actually kind of makes sense. to mean, you can buy it. You know. Yeah. Well, what is what is it worth to you?
1: I mean, yeah. how much value? Because th- th- it's actually kind of a very uh, abstract, but very concrete philosophical uh, concept of like ascribing wealth or some sort of value to some sort of service or uh, product. And in the past, it's always been, you know. Here it is, and then maybe you haggle for it. And then we've gone away with that because of streamlining. And now it's like, well, when you go to who Lowe's. What's
0: the band? You, as a musician, you'll probably, there was a band that came out a few years ago. They sold an album, pay whatever you want for it. They made like a half a million dollars the first day. None of it went to record studios or anything like that. Wasn't it? Uh, uh, that so the old band came
1: back. That big band that's in uh, England, if I'm it's not an mistaken. Band. Yeah. We'll never know. Uh, it'll it'll come to me. But that's what I, that's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, the classic, the new one is like music. Well, what is it worth to you? Because you'll listen to it, and man, I could go way off on of music, but it's it provides you some in, uh, incredible Radiohead. value. Radio Radiohead, that's Absolutely. the one.
0: Yeah, anyway, yeah Radiohead.
1: Head. So uh, you know, and depending on the person, some people it's background noise. It's two dollars. Other people, it changes their life. And trust me, I've had. I listened to a song that I wrote actually this morning and it, it kind of hit me again when I wrote it. I wrote it in about 10 minutes. Um, when you're in the zone creatively, you can really write and I read it and it just like impacted me on some of the stuff that I've been going through in the last few months. It's like, wow, I know what the meaning of this song is. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but it still has that power and there's a lot of value to that. And I, I like the idea that if somebody can, is allowed to pay what they want, um, If anything, it might encourage you to start creating much more creative content, more value, and then seeing what other people, allowing yourself to put your hair down and see what other kind of stuff that people value.
0: If I was a band today, what I would do is I would set up a subscription service, like a membership website. that's a good idea. And I would release all of my music to my, my paying fans first. I would have a chat area where we would occasionally get in there and talk to people. Because no one ever can talk to these people, apparently. Yeah. And because there's a revenue stream from there, it would be worth it for the band or the lead singer or just a single musician to spend an hour a day. And not everybody's going to get to talk at the same time, but it's the order it shows up in. And I, would be, and I would have the most valuable insight ever into what to create next for them. Because I'd have honest feedback from my fans who would yep. be comfortable even saying, dude, that song sucked. Don't do any more songs like that. Okay, screw off, but I'm, I'd also go, I'm not going to do any more songs like that, right? If everybody thought that song sucked. And, I mean, I think that is probably a model that needs to be explored by musicians, but that could be done by writers, like these romance yep. writers you're sure. talking about. I mean, you could create a whole community around the creation and actually have the fans doing half the writing for you. Um And, and, and there's there's a tremendous opportunity today that's never existed before. And I think that when people are all hip on the ideas thing, I, I think that the idea thing is great because it gets the mind going, but at some point you got to, okay, say, this is what I'm going to do, anchor it yes. down and get it done. That, that's
1: actually uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is this how you actually get, okay? So, you know, one of the, the, the reason why I even came on, on this show in the first place is because I hit that next stage beyond what most people I feel stop at. And because I'm green enough, I can explain to people what it takes. And what that is, is, you know, how do you come up with your ideas? Well, you just got to brainstorm. You got to relax. But you got to be like intentional about it. And you got to start firing off the synapses. So whenever there's like you have a a question you want to ask, first, try to answer it yourself and maybe come up with three ways to answer it. And there's all sorts of different things you can look up online. But, uh, you know, writing it on paper is always the best way to do this. But eventually you need to buckle down and choose an idea. And whether that's a product or just like a philosophy, like um, I've seen even like people who are like professional activists, so to say, you know, um, and, you know, entrepreneurs or just any any of these people who are successful. And the thing that they chose that what they did was they came up with this idea and they ran with it. They ran with it into the dirt. So hard until, you know, obviously eventually they may find out this is a good idea, it's not a good idea. But you wouldn't know that, and you won't get any idea off the ground until you run with it. And that's why the super successful people who make billions of dollars, they'll tell you straight up, it's all in the execution. It has nothing to do with the idea. The idea is
0: so much less important than you think it is. Well, and there's two sides to ideas, right? There's the idea and there's the vision. Right. Right. So the idea is I'm going to make a website that does X, (laughs) Y, Z. Yep. The vision is, here's how that's going to work. Here's how that's going to be sold. Here's how that's yes. going to attract customers. Here's the culture of the company behind the site that's going to attract the developers that we need to do this cutting-edge thing. The vision is important. The idea without the vision is completely worthless, even though eventually the, even the vision has to be turned into concrete action It's the vision that actually develops the plan of action. You can figure out now what the heck do I do with this, if that makes sense.
1: The the best way to get any of this stuff or the ideal situation to be able to get any business or any idea off the ground is to have people. And uh, the only way that it would even work is if you have that vision so concrete because any of the people that you hire, they don't have your vision. They don't have the passion for it. They're just doing their one little thing. Um, and creating this network and stuff. And nobody believes in your vision like you do. And it's one of those reasons why you have to stop. And this is the part that the the mind-blowing realization I had in the last few months. Again, it's like it doesn't really matter what it is because, you know, pick something that you kind of like and you want to get into. This is why, you know, permaculture, like permaculture is as good of an idea as any. And there's so much more to permaculture than just I want to grow food. No, 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 no. I mean, there's there's literally entire people who have businesses that deal with cob structures. Just cob structure, absolutely. Yeah, that's just that's permaculture. Or just irrigation. Yeah. Right. No kidding. And or just structure design. And nobody would, uh, you know, at all levels, at anything. Here's, you know, I I'm coming up with, and I keep jotting down just cool permaculture ideas, just for the fun of it, or to just pitch it to to get people to think outside of their outside of the thing. And one of the ideas I thought about while I was painting the uh, Chicken Tractor was, where are the permaculture artists who are going to these amazing sites and creating works of art? I mean, that's what people did. Where do you think Van Gogh and all those people came up with stuff? They went on these things. They, uh, they didn't have the typical lifestyle because they're willing to, to, to really foresee or to, to really see out this artwork. And they created masterful things. And in a short amount of time, you're going to become a master at it. And you're going to create works that are really expensive. And what kind of publicity would this be if, I don't know, uh, the Kermaterhof or, you know, down in Australia, they had these like paintings that are, you could easily sell these paintings for $10,000. I mean, it, it, that's really chump change, especially in a hot art market like today. Y- you could do it and you get
0: to, you get to live an awesome life. It's, it's absolutely the case. And, it, and that's just one more vertical. Okay. That's just one more. And I, I think what people don't really don't understand today is what is a niche, right? Or yes, a niche, depending on how you want to say it. A niche in the old days would be plumbing, right? Right. A, a niche today would be plumbing for uh, RV hookups in dry camping yep. situations in Saskatchewan, Canada, right? That would be a niche today. Oh yeah, and and, there, and you're, there's probably I don't I just made that up. There's probably a market there, and, and that's what I, I I don't think people get is that when you have access to several billion people, it's almost inconceivable yeah. that anything you're excited about enough to actually develop into a product won't have customers, because somebody else gives a crap too. I read this theory uh, David sent
1: me, Insidious from the blog. He, he sent me uh, this thing where this guy has this theory that the way to success and way to living on your own as a band is having a thousand true fans. If that's all it takes, what you described earlier is like, oh, do teleconferences with them. How quickly are you going to get fans who, like, know you personally? They're going to buy everything you ever put out.
0: They're going to come to your the, shows because like they feel like they're your friend. They're, th- it is one of the most successful business formulas ever developed, a thousand true fans. And the completion right. of this is that every true fan, like these are your super fans, will spend one day's wages a year on you. Well, if you have a thousand of those, <laughs> it, yeah, no you have kidding. roughly three annual incomes a year being spent on you. Right, And and then that's enough to make, let's call that a base salary. So now I can sure. do what I really want to do and get better at it so yes. I can get more fans. But that 1000 is my my core that pays my bills because they never want me to go away. And I believe in that article he said something like these are the people that when you take all your albums and, and release them as a new set in leather, they'll buy that too. Yeah. Even though mm-hmm. they already have them all. They don't care. They just want to buy your stuff.
1: Yep. That's
0: right. And – it's you, you know that's the
1: power of the internet and why oh it's you know the most enslaving thing i i guess it could be that but it's also the most you know letting you go thing i could go live in estonia yeah. and and <laughs> and produce hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars of content living like i'm in the united states living in a place where i was looking at land that was like 100 acres for $15,000 i mean
0: Yeah, that e-card sounded a little less ominous now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just one of those things where this is like a serious thing that people don't understand. It's like this geo-arbitrage kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And there's this guy who I guess he's the wealthiest blogger um, by yearly income. He's like this guy who's like disabled from the neck down. I don't know how the heck you blog like that. Wow, some intense uh, dedication. But he lived in Mexico and was getting like – you know, crazy medical stuff for like $10,000. Meanwhile, living on a condo on the beach, that would be like a million dollars, making, you know, $100,000. You know, he he literally could live like a king because he was able to have his thousand true fans, so to say, online. You don't have to be anywhere. So to find, you know, the camping hookups, I could do that business here. Um, You know, I'm not going to, but... The, the whole point is, is that there's obviously people who are interested in something and there's gotta be people who are willing to step up and just do it. That's why the idea this does not matter as much as just running with it and understanding what people need and providing value. So when people, so when people make all this money doing the thousand fans thing, all they're doing is they're the, for the hundred thousand dollars that they made, they made millions of dollars for the other people like in value. And that's where I see like Bill Mollison, he may not make a lot of money, but there's going to be a lot of people who make a lot of money in permaculture in years to come,
0: and plus uh, Bill, absolutely, exactly, exactly. I mean, yeah, I think Jeff would be one of the prime examples. I think that I, I owe a great deal of debt of gratitude to Bill because it was permaculture that made this show the way this show is done. Mm -hmm. Even when we're talking about guns or food storage or whatever, that's not a quote-unquote permaculture topic, I designed the structure of this business, as soon as I understood permaculture, around permaculture. Right. So it's it's a permaculture business. Even if I would have never talked about permaculture, it would still be a permaculture business because it's built right. on a permaculture model. It's built on a multiple form of capital model. We've been able to do things because of the social capital, for instance, in the business. Right. That, that a typical business could never have done. It, just, I, it couldn't have done it. They, even if they were a bigger business, they couldn't have done it the way that we did it. And I think that's... That's what's exciting. That's what's awaiting people, and it, you're right. It doesn't matter what the idea is. It just matters that you have one, and you start with it, because you might end up shifting yep. it in a year. That's so right. It's totally different, but you have the skill now. Yep. You're going to learn the marketing skills. You're going to learn
1: all this other kind of stuff, and then you're going to be like, you're you're going to be ready for that next opportunity, which will lead you, you know, you're going to build networks, and then all of a sudden, he's going to be like, oh, you know, uh, this guy says that he's working on something like, hey, you know, I could actually help you out with that, you know? Yeah. That's something I have on the side. And, yeah, there's there's no doubt about it that uh, it's it's really all about sticking to it and and really getting through those barriers because you're going to have the lows. And even during this, uh, so many times, I mean, it's such a, a minuscule task of, like, putting together five chicken tractors. You're just like, man, I just don't know if I could do this. Like, dude, still like it I'm, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm wasting my time. I'm actually feeling like that now, but it's, you know, okay, got to get it done because there's, much bigger things that I'm thinking about in the future. But again, I want to get I want to prove to anybody, to myself, that I can accomplish uh this task. I can do it well and that I can provide value, at, at least make my money back. I easily could do that. I've spent thousands of dollars on this. And most people, you know, they may go like, "Ooh, I'm not going to spend a couple thousand dollars to do whatever. It's not going to be that difficult to make this this back, in my opinion. And, you know, even if I don't make it back. The whole point is to put myself out there and uh, to finally say, like, okay, I'm throwing my hat in the ring. I love permaculture. I want to help out. Here's here's my first my first thing. And I thought of different ways that I could take this to the next level, go on book tours, podcasts. I may still end up doing that kind of stuff and talk about building chicken tractors because now I have experience building five (laughs) totally different chicken tractors. But um, I'm trying to move. I have this kind of life uh, concept I'm working with now. And it, and that's moving at exponential rates <laughs> may not be sustainable, but uh, uh, I'm looking to grow at an exponential level at every turn in my life. And I feel like I'm trying to work with that. And I think just putting out this book is one of them. And then the next one is going to be way bigger than this.
0: Awesome, and I think see that's the attitude that that's not a scarcity attitude. And I'll give you yep. an example of this. I was having a conversation recently with somebody about some of the things we're selecting to plant at Perma and I said we're probably going to do wolfberry because it's got this great mass market uh, for it just as a product. You can just sell it as a raw product. So mm-hmm. if it's on the you know one Mark Shefford says if it's on the shelves at Walmart, it's a product, right? But yet it's got all these little niches, and I explained how the guy that runs Phoenix Tears found this plant in the in the Utah desert, brought it back to Arizona, worked with it, developed it, and now the, the Phoenix Tears TM, which anybody can produce this plant, but if you want to sell it as the trademark version, it right. comes from this old plant in the desert of Utah and tell people this is what it is, then this guy gets a buck every time somebody sells one. Mm-hmm. And he makes about $50,000 a year in... From one hedgerow of wolfberry, nice. plus the royalties. That's like that's like that's all he does. And, and the guy says, "Wow, is he lucky?" No. And I wanted to punch myself no, in nice. the head because I'm like, okay, it's a great story of how he found this plant. But there's, you could set up a small little orchard in your backyard, start doing things with seed, and create four or five unique plant types. Market those and have four or five of these things going. In in the next five years. Yep. And it's not luck. It was that when he saw the opportunity, he did something with it. How many people do you think over the last hundred freaking years walked by that damn plant that was sitting out in the middle of the Utah desert and went, oh, I'll eat a couple. Those are good. And, and, And had no idea that there was any value to it. Or if they thought, oh, that's too much work. Right, This guy comes home, takes some cuttings and plants this hedgerow and then gets some some scientific data on it that shows the nutritive value of it. You know it's a very hardy, survivable species mm-hmm. and just puts it out there and starts contacting catalog companies. And would you like to sell this plant? Well, we, can you send us some? So he sends it to them and they say, well, can we propagate it? And he says, yeah, but I get a buck. As the as the originator of the line, I get a dollar for everyone you sell. Right, It's a royalty check. Yep. so if a, a catalog sells five thousand of them this year, they send them five thousand bucks. that's as if he wrote a book by the way. it is as if he wrote a book. it's, it's that a business thing. model in mine to tell you the truth. I have to get up and do this every day
1: yeah yeah you know it's one of those uh, things well you you have as as david and I have have called it kind of like a lifestyle business, so your yep. lifestyle is the business, whereas a royalty would be it's it's like a one time thing you get it out, you may not make millions on it, but you're going to keep having it come in so it's like You have a total meltdown. You're like, I've got to like totally stop what I'm doing. You can still get money. And if you want to like move to Italy or something and go spend like six months, you could do that. And it's all it is, is having assets and it's having value that can continue to replicate itself. So it doesn't matter if it's a book, if it's a plant, (laughs) you know, whichever.
0: Yeah, we're making a big push in 2015 to, to dramatically increase the value of our membership mm. to the point where somebody that says, don't give a damn about TSP, would buy it. Right. I think it's kind of there now, but it's so centric to what the audience buys right. that if you if you care, you'll probably like the show, unless you just don't like me. And then you're probably not going to buy it because you just don't like me. Right. But th- that's what we want. We want to create that so that if I like, die... That that business unit still exists for dorothy uh, you know you can have insurance and all all you want, but it's 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 to me it's a horrible thing for a business to die with its owner, like the business should be able to exist right. in house of- i'm i'm
1: I'm totally with you on that i mean you end up you you end up creating experiences for yourself and the customers but if if it dies with you and the whole thing is completely wrapped in yourself, you know it's kind of like a cult fad it's 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 a passing glimpse of time, whereas, you know, it's kind of like the eternal eternal value. Great. I, I have written down here to mention I'm, I'm not going to get into it, but the book, um, you know, how to win friends and stuff like this book is still talked about. I mean, it's like you have to buy this book and it was written 100 years ago. The guy's way dead. Um, but just the fact that it's like this legacy is the real deal and it's not Shakespeare. See, that's the thing. It's like you don't have to be Shakespeare. You don't have to be Bill Gates to make an impact and make, you don't have to have $50 billion. Uh, you could just be just some guy who wrote this great book that he spent a lot of time on and people treasure it. Um, you know, obviously my five easy chicken tractor book isn't going to do that, but. Uh, you, know, the, you
0: don't know that. <laughs> you, no, you really don't. know It could that. be now, the
1: defining moment where chicken tractors, like all chicken tractors, evolve from you know come from my chicken tractor.
0: Well, no, I mean what I'm saying is you have like version 1.0 of this thing. Yep. It'll evolve. It, it you actually have the ability to do what people with printed books never did, which is to evolve the book. Yep. And as the book evolves, you have a whole new markets. Like if you evolve a print book and your customer that bought the first version wants the second version, they have to spend all the money. Well, you could either have anybody that's a customer be able to upgrade their book anytime and know that they're going to be able to do it with your future books. And I've tried to sales or say, like software does. Well, you you right. bought Vegas for nine hundred dollars once. We don't want nine hundred dollars for for version eleven. We want fifty bucks to upgrade. Right. And so you could up, you upgrade your book for two dollars. So who knows what you what you will end up with? You may end up with this living, evolving thing. It could be around for a long time, and it's electronic, so it can, it can be anywhere and go anywhere. David and I have talked, to, have talked about this this idea of, um,
1: I haven't seen anywhere yet, but what is a book, right? It's just this piece of information that's sitting on. It's static at the moment. We know that it has the potential to be dynamic. We were talking about creating books, and I'm still thinking about it with this, but you know, again, it's a lot more work. Um, But it may be worth it because if I create the foundations for it, I can flip other products that do this. But why can't it just be a dynamic book where you go and not only does it show you um the price list when I went and bought the stuff, but it shows you the current prices on Lowe's or on Amazon to buy the stuff. There's no reason you couldn't. With a buy it. button, by the way. Oh, no kidding. You, <laughs> exactly. That's actually a good point. When you mentioned it yeah. earlier, I was like, that's actually a good idea. I could easily create a script that just fills your shopping cart and you just purchase it, and
0: you just go and pick it up, and then you go home and take it. So you don't even... And, of course, there's an affiliate income opportunity there, Mm. right? So there's... See, and that's the thing is to start figuring out how do I stack the income streams. Right. So now that I've told you to buy all this stuff, and the only reason you're going to buy it is because I told you to buy it, there's no reason that that vendor shouldn't be happy to pay me my commission. Right. You know, I mean, that's... That's part of the way to, to, to look at things. So I don't think you're going to make a ton of money from that side of the business because the commissions are so low. But if it pays for all that gas and you didn't really yes. have to do thing but work one time, you mm-hmm. know it, it, it's nice. We, you know, I mentioned ClickBank. I have a few books that I didn't think were garbage that I threw on the TSP website that just sit there, and I don't make a lot of money from ClickBank. They send me twenty to fifty bucks a month, but right. you know what? I don't send it back. Uh, I, I heard you say it.
1: If I'm, not, I'm sure I got it from you at the JackSpirico.com that you said, pay your cell phone bill. That's a good idea. Like, let's just start with that. Yep. I already don't like paying the cell phone bill. Yep. Um, not, I mean, I could even write that off of my income, but you know, that is what it is. This reminds me though that, I mean, if people can't tell, I have a very, very positive attitude. And this isn't like something I've always had. I've actually used to be a really negative person, I feel. And, you know, I, I talk about on the blog that I don't watch the news and stuff anymore. And, you know, the reason is, is that's when they're looking. And all I see is opportunity. I don't see what I saw six months ago or a year. But sure, I, I know there's things out there on the horizons. But the reality is for for people, they need to understand that the world is inherently uncertain. And um, my intelligence background has really made me come into touch with the concept of uncertainty and how to to approach it. And the moment you understand that everything in reality is uncertain and you've got to let go and you've got to adapt to it, that is the real answer. It's not paying attention to one thing. And that's why, you know, you've got to be flexible and you've got to be, you know, you got to be thinking, you've got to continually improve yourself and you're going to live a much better life. If all these people who are so negative in the United States and other places, um, just stop for a moment and go, and go, how can I help my neighbor? And they were sincere with this. We, it would, it, we would totally change overnight. There'd be enough of this like left, right nonsense would, would go to the end. And I'm not talking about it, how to improve myself. Like I'm, I've really internalized that I've got to get way beyond that. And I've yeah, got to see yeah. how, how I can really help people who are either in need or who would just like, you know, something new, something, uh, whatever they, you know, they would, like to get into these things and be inspired and stuff like that. And, well, and look at it this yeah. way, Mike.
0: So, so let's look at the negativity thing. So let's say that I sent a person to you and I said, I think Mike can help you. And I sent you this guy and he came walking in and he was a fat ass. I mean, just not a little heavy, like he's got what I call, instead of bye-bye arm, bye-bye elbow, where the tip of your finger can disappear into your elbow. Yeah. The first thing you'd say is, on, oh, I see what your problem is, and, and we need to change your diet. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with my diet. Oh, you, you know what? Even the stuff you're eating may not be bad. It's the quantity. Something must be done here. So, the, right. the symptom of being overweight one of the, one of the factors at least is the diet. What are we yep. taking in? If you're negative, what do you want to bet your information diet is negative? Yeah, that's right. It has to be.
1: It, it has to. be. How
0: could it not be? No, this. I mean, for one, uh, you know,
1: adding another thing of, of how you get big is and i think this occurs more in, in females than men is this kind of like this negative look on yourself and, yep. it, and it ends up being this like right. you know circular cycle you end up just viewing things this way and it's like it you know it's just the realization that it's like wow thoughts actually really do manifest themselves and you'd have to go like hey you know you need to treat I, I, there's not many people who are who are large who like yeah you know i'm large and proud I mean, if they got to say that, they're probably Most not people that say proud. It don't even mean it. That's just. Yeah. It's, yeah. And you yeah. know, I'm not trying to be snarky or something like that, but it's, there, I mean, there is this idea where I realize, with, again, with the chicken tractors, like, no, I can make time. I'm better than this. Like, I can find time, even if it's just like one hour a day for a couple of weeks. That's better than not ever doing it. And then I may realize, like, you know, this isn't for me. But
0: uh, you know, yeah, you may change you may change course, but like I said, the education is what's priceless. If you add up all the money you've spent, it's probably not insignificant, but it's probably less than you would spend for one year of business courses at a community college, right. and and the education is a thousand times more valuable than what community college education would be. Here, yeah, here's here's a great example
1: to send that point home. I have a good friend who ended up he. In my opinion, he stumbles through life, and he's made good good choices and some bad choices, but he's stumbling. He's just going with the flow, and I think most people do this. He ended up going through the flow and becoming a Marine Corps officer. I don't know how that's possible, but trust me, that <laughs> happens. And I saw it all over the place in the Marine Corps. Like, these people, how did they make it? Like, this isn't that hard, but, but anyways. So he stumbles through life, and he's a Marine Corps officer. Like, he's a captain now, oh. and and he... You decide to stay in instead of getting out. And it's like, you, you don't have any business considering you're, you're negative about this all the time. Yeah. It's not what you want to do. And then this is the kicker. This is the kicker. He's an officer. He has like 100, like 100 men underneath him. He goes, I need to go back to school to get an MBA. What? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Dude, you have like operational experience with 100, like 100 people. Yeah. Yeah. Are you psycho? Like, that doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. Yeah. And and this is the same guy who went to college for six or seven years to get, you know, a history degree and a philosophy degree and something else. Not that I'm actually bashing any of those, but the fact he got three degrees says he couldn't pick one. Yeah. <laughs> and all he had to do was just and I'm sitting there going like and then, oh, this is this is the double the triple kicker, if you will. Instead of he, w- he went in as artillery. OK, go have your fun for your first time in. And he's like, well, I'm going to stay in. Okay, well, what are you going to do? And he's talking about what, you know, I need to do something when I get out. I'm kind of concerned. I'm like, okay, well, uh, you know, if you want to stay in, switch and go to, like, electronics or uh, communications or logistics or something like that. And he was like, yeah, okay. What did he do? Anglico. If you don't know what that is, that's jumping out of planes and being forward observers and shooting, you know, pointing gunships at at, at targets. Are you kidding me? Like, come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's what a lot of people end up doing. It sounds great. They just kind of you know the carrots jingled in front of them. They don't realize that you could get a much bigger carrot out there than that little tiny thing jingling in front of you. And all you got to do is just look past it, and you're like, "Wow, why would I ever think you need an MBA?" And here, here you go. Here's the quality of an MBA. It requires no prerequisites to get an MBA, a master's. No pre- no prerequisites, other than a degree.
0: Yeah, you don't degree. have to have any experience. Nope. You don't, and that's that's something that's that's almost frightening that we would because decla- li- literally we have declared you a master, right? So it would be it would be like taking a written test in karate and being labeled a, a a fourth dawn black belt master of that martial art and entrusted to teach other people to do it or protect people's lives with it when you don't actually have any experience doing anything. And we're going to get some pissed off people that are going to email both of us now. You're in it, too. (laughs) They're going to say, when I did my MBA, I had to do some kind of real world something or other. Bullshit. You didn't have to run a company or even a a division or a department. How can you be a master of of business administration with no relevant
1: business experience at all? I think there's actually a, a lot of value that you could gain in a master's course. I'm and, sure it is. Um I do not believe it's when you leave college. And, <laughs> and and this is the thing is they're expecting you now to get further and further in debt. Like that's kind of like the mantra is like okay, the business uh or the uh, the environment's not very good for uh you know uh, a bachelor's degree, go get your masters. Ugh. Like you still you're you're going to go in there with no knowledge. And I saw this with, with my wife, who will attest this, who is a, a master geologist who makes pretty good money. And, you know, I, I explained to her, like, do you have any idea how, like, more value you could have added to yourself if you had done this, like, when you knew more? Because you're going to go in and you're going to be thinking of all the experiences you had. And so when you go do your final report or your your master's paper – you're you're thinking and you're coming from all those experiences and you're getting this time to stop for a moment and think abstractly of how you could take that next step, but that's just not the way that it's done. And that's the way you know they're banking off this. that Like there's a lot of value to this, only
0: from a certain perspective. It is a depends situation and a half. It is a depends. It, it it is when they want to tell me that an education is priceless. I always say uh-uh. I can put a tag on that thing real quick and I can put a value on it because yeah. I can look at people and say, okay, so you have a masters degree, but you have a masters in I don't know freaking communications. Mm. Well, so it's like a generic degree. And I can take a person that's about equal talent to you and just look at their career path and your career path and go, what really did the where did the masters degree really make a difference? Or I remember seeing somebody on TV during the depression, they couldn't find a recession, they couldn't find a job. And and this individual said, I have a master's degree in everything. And I thought, wow, wonder why you can't get a job with a master's degree, a master's degree. <laughs> master's. I mean, that's
1: just the an excellent point, which when you look up this, this concept of a master's, you'll see that people have really dug into this, and you can't be a master until you've hit 10,000 hours on it. I can assure you, you're not hitting 10,000 hours. If you can't say master's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean. I went to school. I, I'm one of those guys who I know you've talked about in the past, who I spent, I totally on a credit card. Parents have no idea what they're doing. And, uh, you know, taking out student loans and all this stuff. I mean, non-federal student loans. So okay. I, total private student loans with eight, nine percent interest rates. Mm. Uh, I, when I graduated college, I went to go check my student loans, uh, cause I didn't pay a cent on them the entire time I was there. Of course they, not. they accrue interest. <laughs> And um I was like, okay, I'm expecting sixty thousand dollars, which is a lot, right? Because I was like, okay, yeah, 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 okay, sixty thousand. I go to look, it was ninety thousand. Like, Ooh. yeah, that's a house. That yeah. is, that's a house. Not
0: a bad house either.
1: No, guess what? Guess what degree I came out with? A okay. sociology degree <laughs> with a minor in geology. <laughs> Oddly enough, a minor in geology, but. Uh, so what did I go and do with this sociology degree? I went and just did what I was going to do anyways, which I know people who don't have degrees do. And they make just about as much money. And I was Intel analyst. I already had the experience. When did it? Didn't help me do anything. After a year, I created this innovative process, which has nothing to do with intelligence analysis. It was just a an pro- uh, like, uh, automated process. Uh was so blown away by it. I was like, oh, I'm going to learn programming. Learned it in three months. I got a different job. I made twenty thousand dollars more uh, with no computer science degree. So there, there's something to this, where it has a little bit more to do with mentality, mindset, rather than just, you know, credentials. Credentials don't mean they don't necessarily mean anything. It well, can.
0: I, a perfect example of this is I had a a web designer and developer who worked for me. And he was very, very good at that. And he was a pretty good guy with PHP code. And one day I sat down with him and I said, how did you learn all this? He said, well, the PHP, I got one of those Sam's guides and I locked myself in my mm. room for two weeks. Yep. And so, and we're talking to him later and we were doing some some marketing work and he came over and he was looking at it and he was confused as hell. And he goes, I can't believe I have a degree in this and I don't understand any of it. Mm-hmm. And I said, you have what? He goes, I have a degree in marketing from SMU. That's not inexpensive, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, I didn't even realize that. He goes, you hired me and didn't realize I had a degree? I'm like, I didn't care that you had a degree. You worked for the largest web design and development company in, in my space in Dallas for, for five years, and you worked on the top sites that were out there. As soon as I saw your name and knew who you were, I offered you a job. I had no idea you had a degree. I didn't even look at your resume. And he couldn't believe that. And I'm like, it's probably good that I didn't look at your resume. I would have thought right. you were a marketing guy if I would have, you know, been brushing through them just looking at the educational background. And it's it's and and
1: while I don't think uh any more necessarily that Jack of All Trades is the best way to go, it is nice to have other things to pull from as well because a lot of the people that I've worked with in the computer science realm, they know a good bit about computer science, not as much as they should, because I guess they just you know, it's going with the flow but they have no concept of, like, people. Like, they just don't understand that when you say whatever jargon you're saying, they they took it and just went, no idea what you're talking about. And you're not going to create a good product that way. And that's why, you know, when you look and get in the software development process, these people just... Very hard time managing people who are software developers
0: because you're just looking at code all day and you forget that uh, somebody's going to be using it. Somebody's going to use it, and they're not going to know what you know. Yeah. Right? It has to work for the person that doesn't give a shit about all this stuff and just wants to push the button and get it to work. If there's, if there's one thing that people can take away from this,
1: technical knowledge is so overrated. And <laughs> the reason why is because you can learn it. You cannot, you cannot learn to be a master in the technical knowledge. I'll, I'll, I will definitely uh, asterisk that. But you can learn techno- technological skills in a very rapid way and be very, very proficient. And I've proven this time and time again. When I Here's a great example. Uh, the team that I worked with, I was the very junior guy. I mean, I was making up stuff. I was making up, but I was stretching things on my resume just to get into the interview. Didn't have any problem getting into it. Um, now I'm the only person who works from home and I run the whole project in like two years. I don't have a computer science background. And not only that, what we do is really technical stuff from a typical programming experience. So, the, you know, the point is, is, if you want a job in, in, in programming, just go learn it. Go put together a sweet resume and be willing to move. You'll make
0: some money. Easy. So easy. <laughs> but, so what do you say to the person out there that's kind of where you were six months ago and trying to figure out how to make a run at this? Well, um, the first thing is, is you, you have to look internally and you got to relax.
1: And what, what I did is I started brainstorming and I started taking the, 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 the do something mentality with each one of the ideas. So I came up with, um, you no, know, I can't remember offhand, but one of them, I came up with this idea to create a, um, power adapter that you could plug in your deep freeze to. And using the internet, it would be able to alert you on your smartphone if you didn't have power. And I actually created like the entire solution of this. And um, so I actually sat down and spent a lot of time learning technical knowledge of all this kind of stuff. And I eventually was just like, you know, this I'm not ready for this. But the thing that it taught me was it went from, wouldn't it be cool if, to let me put it on paper. Let me just write it out. Like what what would it take to do this? And then going and acting on it. And then you may hit a point where you're just like, mmm, I don't know. You may have to work through that. I mean, there's, you always got to kind of play it out by ear, but brainstorming for me has always been the thing and doing an element analysis on everything. So, it, cause once you do that, you're removing the uncertainty of all this stuff that you didn't know. Like, how am I going to make money? Well, okay. Well, let's look at who, who do you want to uh, sell to? What, what's permaculture? So who consumes permaculture products? These are people, you know, by and large who love you know, love the planet or that, you know, they they like the idea of growing their own food and all this kind of stuff. The moment you start talking that, the moment you start writing it down, it starts to write itself out. And then you're like, okay, well, then you start look at the pain points. I think Jeff Lawton personally looked at pain points when he started coming up with um his various like video ideas of like visiting these places. I really believe um that he um Had saw this pain point with people in permaculture, like, I don't really know about this. So what he did was he went out and he started viewing all these permaculture sites and doing all these videos going like, dude, I live like right down the street from that place. Wow. Like, that's really cool. So it's no longer this subtropical, tropical, you know, banana circles and just craziness. It now comes to home. Well, that was a pain point that he saw, like somebody needs to do that. So for a person, you got to look for these pain points so to say. So a pain point would be like, I really can't stand it. I can really can't stand looking up stuff on the internet because it's so hard to build a a, to see a good chicken tractor because it's just not there. Uh, There we go. I mean, it was really not that hard. Actually, the first idea, I remember what it is. I was getting sick and tired of like looking up homesteading stuff and it's not organized. You know, hint, hint, if somebody wants to run on this one, Creating an aggregate site, you don't have to create content, but you may be a person who brings it together and organizes it. So it's like, you know, maybe better than a wiki because a wiki is kind of like depends on the people that are there and stuff like that. But this is like, OK, I go to animals, uh, rabbits, OK, houses, this kind of stuff. And it's it's a resource that you can go to that's continually updated and stuff. And I was going to I was going to create that. But. So Everybody just, only has so many
0: times to do so many things, you know.
1: Yeah, and um, I'm actually uh, got some semi-big news on this one. I uh, So I'm still working at home, and um, I got the Chicken Tractor book. And doing the math, uh, I should say with all that debt, um, I'm going to be debt-free in January in three That's years. That's ass man. So what I did was I basically uh, said that I'm not going to have this debt. And we were able to organize our finances so my wife could take care of everything. And every dollar I make just about goes towards my student loans. He paid off in a heartbeat. Um, and because of that, in January, I'm quitting my job, bald-faced. I'm just set the date. It's arbitrary. I mean, it's mildly arbitrary. And from yeah. that, I'm starting a business. I'm going full-time, throwing my hat in the ring. I'm going to drown and float and all that kind of good stuff.
0: Well, and the good thing with your type of skill set is if you needed to take some freelance work for a while to pay some bills, you could.
1: Yep, that's right.
0: But I think the, the all in move is the, the most intelligent one you can make because of the situation you're in. There are people I would go, oh God, no. Right. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be homeless in six months. Uh, Don't do that. But the way that you're set up, it works for you. You, you have some breathing room. But it also is going to be like, okay, I got to freaking do this now. Cause yeah. Now, now, this is, this is it. Here's,
1: here's yeah. the other, the other big news. I have a kid coming in March. Wow. So here I am, the man who I don't make the most money. And, uh, I'm going to be jobless, uh, not having income coming in with a kid on the way with my wife doing all the work and all this kind of stuff. How do you think that makes me look? <laughs> so I've got quite the fire, but that's, that's good because that's going to, it's sink or swim. And, well, there's only two options. And either one ends my suffering, right?
0: <laughs> cool, man. So when do you think the book's going to be out?
1: So um right now I have just finished the fourth tractor of the five. Um, the fifth one is going to go a lot quicker, uh, should be done in two weeks. I need to finalize the text, and I'm hoping the book will be out. Uh, well, I say hoping. It's going to be out by the end of the year, come hell or high water. So, um I'll, I'll definitely be keeping people updated on, on this one. Uh, I have an entire website that I built out of it. Um, I was trying to create a more community type of thing, but it's just like, I just don't feel like it's right. But, um, the, the website has various tractors on it and it has like the five that I'm building so people can get kind of an idea, uh, the, the kind of stuff that's going to be in the book. I mean, it's literally step by step. And in some of the cases, it might be overkill and I'm going to have to peel back, you know, Drill a hole, but it's growing. Drill a hole, but it's growing. But hey, I mean, sometimes you got to do that because you don't realize, like, hey, uh, my wife doesn't know how to use a hand clamp, and that was like a signal, like, I need to be thinking about this stuff. Like, she doesn't even know how to use the simplest tool, but she's the person who I want to buy this book.
0: Absolutely, You're, you you want to sell to the person that says, "I would have chickens if if," and you right. want to solve the if. Okay, yeah. well, here's here's your answer to your if. I oh. want a small flock. I want to be able to move it around my small yard. I don't want to mess anything up. I want them to be safe. That's right. I want to be able to know that I can do it. I know. I want to be able to get eggs or whatever it is. Well, here you go. And you know what'll end up happening?
1: And this is the thing because people are going to go, oh, is it is it safe enough? Is it protective enough? I'm hoping to beat uh, a lot of that stuff because guess what? You're going to lose some chickens. I know you lost some. Yeah. I, I lost. Um, I bought 26 recently, and we're down to 16. I think. Yeah. And, uh, it happens and you're going to like, Oh, I really don't want my two chickens to die. You can get another one. You're going to be okay. Another it's thing. sad. I wish my chickens went and died because I love my chickens, but it, you, you got to get through that hump. And if you keep going, well, what if, what if, what if, what if? That's why they're easy. They're easy. No problem. So yeah, uh, looking at, um, coming out at the end of the year.
0: Yeah. You know, livestock people have to, you have to get past it. You, you can't look at it like the dog that sleeps on the foot of your bed. You, you really can't. Because yeah. you, you'll make mistakes. So I got these ducks. I got a dozen ducks, and like eight of them died. Mm-hmm. So Dorothy's like, I want more than four ducks. I said, Well, how many should I order? She goes, Well, this many died. She was being cute. She says, Well, this many died. 22. Instead of 20, 22. So me being the ass that I am, I go to EFAL and I order 22. Exactly what she said. Mm-hmm. So they come. And you know how many of those died? None. None. So now I got 26 ducks.
1: Right. And you don't know which way it's gonna go. That's why I ordered 26 of these guys. Cause it's like, you know, my
0: wife's like, why do we, what do we do with 26 chickens? I'm like, I don't know, but it's gonna work out. And if you end up with all of them make it, and you don't lose any and you have more than you want, that's what crock pots are for. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, and, and, in fact, of the 16, probably 12 will
1: be that. I don't know. need 16 chickens to to lay eggs. I, I I'm not looking to get into the egg business cuz I've seen so many people where it's just like here's eggs, I need to get rid of them. I'm like Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you the egg business is tough. We we'll, we we'll, we'll start to wrap up here, but mm. I mean, my view from playing around with it is you got to you got to have enough to have a market. And that means if you if you're producing right. 3 dozen eggs a week, it's probably more than you can use, but it's not enough to really have a market either. Yeah. So you have to produce you know, I'd say if you're not doing at least 10 dozen eggs a week, it's not really even a small business. Yeah, you
1: can't even go to a farmer's market uh, to, to sell that unless you got, you're selling something else and you have, oh, three, three dozen eggs there. You yeah. could do that, but you, yeah. you can't just have a stand and have three eggs.
0: That would be no. – it's not even worse. <laughs> it's Fifteen bucks.
1: And it's gonna, you're <laughs> going to waste more money and gas getting
0: there. To get there and get back. Yeah. All right, and you got like this, uh, this thing coming up you were telling me about off-air, uh, a, a webinar? Right. Um, in November on the
1: 12th, I'm doing a getting serious and permaculture webinar. Uh, I'm going to be doing a, a, a series of webinars. I push it forward enough in time to make sure that I can I can really nail this one. I've already got the outline. But um, the purpose of the webinar is to help um, the, the person who's like, I love permaculture, you know, but, you know, I can't. There's no careers or jobs in it to get serious and why what they need to do and how they're going to go about it. Um, and just some of the, some more of these basic skills that we've talked about, but there's going to be a lot of specifics in there. I'm going to go over kind of the conventional ways that you mostly think of and some, some kind of, uh, unconventional things. And I'm hoping to start a conversation with, uh, with a lot of people who are looking to get into permaculture. Uh, and it's on Wednesday, November 12th, uh, at 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, and there's more, more, uh, information about this and you could sign up. Uh, I highly recommend, uh, signing up for it so you don't miss it at, uh, com, And you'll see it. There's a little banner there that you can, you can sign up for it. And, uh. And I'll
0: put a link to it in the show notes, Mike. Okay. And like, if you remind me, like, the week of, I'll put it out on the blog for you. Okay. Too. That sounds great. I'm, uh,
1: this is actually leading into where I'm going to go. I'm officially starting a business next year, which whole purpose is to taking business and permaculture to that next level. And um, the whole purpose of the business will be getting permacultures out there everywhere and getting them way beyond the backyards, uh, if, unless you want to own the backyard, uh, you know, helping people out. But taking it to, you know, I'm hoping to get into even venture capitalist funding, multimillion dollar projects and stuff. That's eventually where I'm going to get. And I'm going to be, you know, where my aim is. I would like to do business with Jeff Lawton on an equal basis <laughs> that I can help Jeff Lawton grow times two his business. Uh oh, awesome. so that's what I'm gonna be doing next year. And uh I'm I'm very, very serious. Because if there was any if there was anything out there worth latching to, this is the one. And Jeff Lawton says and I'll agree with him wholeheartedly that um that uh this is the only game in town. And uh I I really think that getting the business knowledge and getting the how you can be successful knowledge and permaculture and just this concept and figuring out niches and marketing and all this kind of stuff will make people be able to run big time. Why do I not see a single permaculturist on the today show? Well, I mean, what's up with that? That's the kind of stuff that I'm looking to fix.
0: Well and it's, it's got the it's got the feel and the vibe that you would think mainstream media would actually like to cover. Um, but that's very cool that you're going to be doing that. And, again, make sure you get with me, and uh, we'll make sure that the uh, that the webinars are posted on the TSP blog. Great. Thank you. So, anyway, I'm, I'm glad to hear your book's going to be coming. I'm glad to hear you're making a real run of things with this. And uh, I appreciate all your contributions on the site, and thanks for being on the show today. Uh, thanks a lot, Jack. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with Mike, new Mike Cornwell, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. times we forget we are what we eat i
1: don't know the answer it's like there's nothing i could
0: do it's the price we pay i guess we follow all the rules there's a better way To Someday we'll realize our children just can't pay. Nobody up there cares.